Welcome to the College Church Sabbath School podcast. I'm Pastor Eno Rahm, and with me is Roger Prather. And we are looking at the Sabbath School lesson focusing on the Psalms. And today we are looking at a very powerful series of Psalms, Roger. And it's lesson number seven, Your Mercy Reaches Unto the Heavens. And if time permits, we'll go through Psalm 136, Psalm 51, Psalm 130, Psalm 113, and 123. So as we kind of scope out our, our discussion today, Roger, would you guide us in prayer? Absolutely. <clears throat> Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you as always for the privilege and the honor of engaging in this ministry. I pray that you will open the hearts of myself and Pastor Rom that we will accurately present your word to our audience. And I pray for those members of our audience who are listening, whether it's recent or a hundred years from now, but I hope Jesus comes back before them. But even if it doesn't in a hundred years from now, someone listens to this, I pray that it's a blessing. We ask all these things in Jesus name. And just given the theme of the lesson, Lord, we ask you for your mercy and your forgiveness in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Roger, thank you for your prayer, and, and uh, you know, it's interesting you said that about <clears throat> timelines, and we have no idea how many how many people believed that Christ was coming their lifetime and didn't happen, and here we are, 2024, and um, you know, I, I think there's a lesson in his delay that we are called to sort of figure this thing out and and it's it's a it's a growing process it's a painful process it's a even a joyful process you know what does it mean to really be a follower of christ and and that can take us on a whole other avenue but um what's going to get us there is the mercy of god and i want to take a look at psalm 136 i'm seeing here it's 26 verses <coughs> excuse me and it begins there, give thanks to God, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, his love endures forever. To him alone who does great wonders, his love endures forever. And it goes on about talking about the glory of God. And Roger, do we <coughs> sometimes, do we know the majesty, the grandeur of the God we worship. No, I don't think it's possible Good to pin. know the full majesty and grandeur of God. Exactly. And that's not to fault him. That's just, we're, we're finite creatures. Big time. And it's kind of, you know, I think we talked about language before, and we just don't have the words to describe what we what we are experiencing at times, and you know, you think about a a five year old to describe. You know, I was thinking about this. You give a five year old, or let's say a ten year old, <coughs> a Dorito, and the kid eats it. Says, "What do you, What do you taste? I taste a Dorito." You give that to a person who went to culinary school. I said, "What do you taste?" And that person would say, well, I can, I can taste the, the spices. I can taste the cheese flavor. I can taste the um, paprika. 
I can taste the, you know what I'm saying? Right. And articulate what's there because of their training. And you and I, you know, we, we have our vocabulary. We have our understanding, our bandwidth. But that's part of our, the challenge is God transcends all of that. I want to take, can I take that analogy and put it in an, into an adult term? Yes. <clears throat> have someone sit down and listen to... Um, a master's symphony. Oh yeah, yeah. And you put a trained musician, and they're going to be able to hear things that we can't hear. Correct. They're going to detect themes that we can't detect. Yeah. Now put that musician right. You and I can sit there and be like, "This is beautiful music." I can't tell you why. Right. But I can tell you that it's beautiful. Yep. You put uh, a musician, a trained musician, in the room, and they go, "It's beautiful because you're hearing." you know, this theme and, you know, this repetition or whatever. And then you put a master conductor yep. in the room with the musician. And yep. the master conductor says, I can hear all of the instruments at once. Mm-hmm. And I can see how, I can hear and feel how they're put together. And then you put the master conductor in the room with the composer himself. Oh, yeah. Good, good analogy. Right? And so yep. that's kind of the, that's how we are on the level with God. Yep. Yeah. And on that note, I, my own personal experience have been pastored for about 30 years. You know, usually you have your piano, your organ, and the piano is always a digital electronic one. So I come here and there's a real pipe organ. And at first... And a grand piano. Oh, I've had grand pianos before at churches, but, but this is... But it's, it's still amazing. So as I'm sitting here, you know, the first Sabbath, you know, I can hear it. Second Sabbath. Now I can really, as I've been here longer, I can really say, "Oh, I hear the difference between an electronic." Uh, um, forgot the brand names already, but electronic mo- uh, um, organ versus a real pipe organ. And when you're sitting there and you take the time to just listen, it's pretty amazing. So I think that leads into this because it's interesting. And I know we're on the same page on this. It says that uh, give thanks to the God of gods, give thanks to the Lord of lords. And it's interesting that, you know, we have to remember that the psalmist is talking in a polytheistic time. Mm-hmm. And, and he is sticking his neck out to say, this is the one. Mm-hmm. This is the God of God. This is the Lord of Lords. And look at all. Let me list off to you the great things that he is. Let me try. Let me attempt to describe him. You know, in verse 13, he divided the Red Sea. He did that. That's the God I serve. And he killed mighty kings. And and uh, he rem- in verse 23, he remembered us in our lowest state. He freed us from our enemies. He gives food to every creature. Give thanks, in verse 26, give thanks to the God of heaven, his love endures forever. Again, it's what brings us, why the Psalms is important is because of the experiential aspect of our walk with Christ. And I think it's too easy, Roger, for religion to be a cerebral only, you know, like a, a checklist. I believe in the Trinity, I believe in the Second Coming, I believe in you know, uh, the health message, whatever it might be, check, check, check. But there must be, at some point, a real, authentic, uh, to use the expression of John Wesley, my heart felt strangely warm. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's where, when I look at a denomination who is so conscientious on knowing the truth about what happens when you die, etc., and, and we can say we, it's easy for us to forget about the real important part is are we having an experience with God? Have we had that? And I would, uh, you mentioned language. I just want to point out for those listening at home that may not be, or you maybe you're in your car and you can't have the text. So you're reading NIV, mm-hmm. right? Yes, yes. So I have the King James Version here. Oh, wow, yeah. And where it says his love end- endures forever, uh, King James has his mercy endures forever. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? It really is. So, and and don't have the message in front of me, and there's uh, many other good translations out there to uh, and interpret in and uh, you know to just kind of get their perspective so but i think there's something valid in that right like uh, god's love is reflected in his mercy yep yep um but his mercy doesn't always take the form that we think it should right mm. like i i never tire of reminding people that noah's flood was an act of mercy mm-hmm. humanity was so corrupt and uh degraded that to wipe out uh, the vast majority of the human population um, was an act of mercy yep. to the humans themselves, but to the earth as well. And then, like in uh, good verse, point, Roger. in verse uh, ten of one thirty-six, to him that smote Egypt and their firstborn, for his mercy endureth forever. So they're listing great works of God. Obviously, they're from a sort of like they sort of view God as an ethnic national God. Mm-hmm. So that kind of makes sense in the cultural context, but. There's also some irony there. Hmm. The God that killed the firstborn of our enemies, his mercy endures forever. Was it merciful for hmm. God to kill the firstborn of hmm. Egypt? Hmm. Um, I'm sure we could construct an argument hmm. that it was, but hmm. we don't have to go into that. But it's just some interesting contrast here, too. Big time. Yeah. Now, there is a, there is a psalm here where the next one leads us to Psalm 51. And to me, this is really um, a heart ripped open by the mercy of God. And, and we know the story very well. David's men were off in battle. David was home. He's looking out. He sees a woman he likes. Her name is Bathsheba. He summons her to the, to the palace. And, uh, and, and before you know it, she sends word back to David. I'm pregnant. So David's got a big problem because Bathsheba's married to a guy named Uriah. And so, of course, what he does is we're probably well familiar. He conspires. He makes this very devious and diabolical plan to send the men into battle. And then he tells them at just the right moment, the heat of the battle, pull back and make sure Uriah is out there by himself. And that's what happens. Uriah's killed. And, and Bathsheba ends up being uh, with David. And so it looks like from his perspective, he's okay. Granted, I'm sure the men knew something's going on. But uh, then God sees everything. God sees everything. And uh, Nathan the prophet comes up to David and tells him this pair about a man I believe he has one sheep and then the guy with a lot of sheep takes the one sheep and David gets so engrossed in the story he's that man was wrong and then Nathan says you are that man mm-hmm. 
And he says, you know, it comes, Nathan pours it out to him and says, look, we know God knows what you did. And so Psalm 51 is David's prayer in response to this. And it's interesting that he begins, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. It's interesting that he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. It's interesting because I think deep in the heart of David, he knows that the love of mankind is not unfailing. There is a limit there. And people have studied the kingship of David and unfortunately, unfortunately, this was not a good moment for David's leadership credentials. And things begin to kind of unravel for him, but he knows God's mercy and he knows about God's unfailing love. It's not going to fail. Right. And, and, and he says, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquities, and cleanse me from my sins. It's interesting that he moves from blotting out to washing away, cleansing me. It's interesting because you, you, you know, we've all used whiteout. And, you know, you're making a mistake in pen, and wait, you pull out the whiteout and you cover it up. Well, it's still kind of there. Just know you can't see the exact blunder. So it's like a blotting out. But then David says, no, no, no. Let's wash it all away. Wash it. Matter of fact, cleanse me. It's as if he realizes the the cancer that it is, the 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 virus that it is, the bacteria, and he's saying, cleanse me from it. Clean me up. And and he says in verse three, four, I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. And it's it's interesting that, you know. He, it was on his mind. Do you, do you ever, I wonder, like, how long did, I don't really have the answer to this question, how long did it take for Nathan to confront David over this sin? I don't know. I wish. Well. Depends on if, yeah. I mean, you just think, okay, so this is uh, about 900 BC. Mm-hmm. It's in the Middle East. David probably would have, so people would have known what was going on. Um, it was a shame and honor society. And I don't think, I don't think she had already delivered. It's probably not. Yeah. No, but I'm, but, but so you, you think like, okay, so they're, they're at war. Mm -hmm. David sleeps with Bathsheba Mm -hmm. um, and then has Uriah recalled from the front lines. So you got to figure it There's would have some taken time some time because he wants to get Uriah drunk and he wants Uriah you, to go in and, and sleep and with his, his wife, wife so that when and that happens two times, I think. Right. Yeah. And then you have to think, well, and that would have to be before she's showing. Right. So that's because at least two couple weeks, maybe. Yeah. But then she probably wouldn't have known for sure that she was pregnant for a month or so. Yeah. I would guess I'm not a medical historian or anything, but. Um, but you are the parent of, of two. <laughs> I, but you've I have around. experience in these things. Yes, yeah. yes, uh, yes, so, yes. Um, Me too. So, But yeah, so it was probably some time went by. 
maybe th- we could guesstimate three months, maybe. Oh, yeah, two to three months yeah. between yeah. David's act with yep. Bathsheba and maybe the contrat- yeah, Nathan walking in and saying. Yeah. So the reason why I bring that up is because was this something that was always in the back of David's mind? Or was he able to compartmentalize this transgression and put it in a box? And we, you know, we don't know, but put it in a box and say, okay, I did that. I'm going to leave it there, sweep it under the rug. And the reason why I bring this up is because in verse 3, he does say, For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. And perhaps every day he's waking up thinking, oh no, will somebody find me out? But something tells me too that David, like we, we tend to look at these people like they were like some sort of like backwards primitives but they weren't you know they were human fully mm. developed humans just like we were with all the same they, they didn't have the technology that we had right that that we have but um they have the same capacity for thought and reason yeah. obviously i mean the bible's full of it so as this other ancient literature so i imagine david was not unlike many of our politicians mm-hmm. and leaders today who would say i'm doing what's best for the country but I got to ask you a question. Now we're going to really go down another rabbit hole here. Were they as cynical and suspicious as we are in the 21st century? I, oh yeah. You think so? Yeah. I mean, they were probably jaded. I would think they Pretty knew. Jaded. People knew what was going. Uriah. So th- that's why Uriah doesn't go in to his house, right? Because right. he knows what's going on. You don't. You don't. You don't go for the loyalty thing that he's going to stay with his men, and he can't. He says, "I, cu- I couldn't do that." That's his pretext. That's a pretext. You're thinking. I. Th- I would. Well, I get that from people smarter than me in biblical interpretation. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I get that from commentaries, and actually, a, a really good book. Um, I've I've mentioned it before in the Sabbath school. I don't think I, I don't know that I've ever mentioned it on the podcast, but um. Uh, uh, reading the Old Testament with Western eyes, or oh, yeah. something yep. like that. Yep. Um, and it kind of like brings out like the Middle Eastern way of seeing the world yep. and how uh, a native of that culture at that time would have read this text, right? Because yep. we have these blinders, right. we have these lenses provided by modern Western society yep. that don't always allow us to see how uh, an Israelite would have seen it back then. Yep. And, and these interpreters say like, no, Uriah 100% knew what was going on. And you mentioned too that in that culture, in that era, you know, it was the king's right to take whomever he wanted. Yeah, as, oh, absolutely. As, as, as legally, his. he didn't do anything wrong. <clears throat> right. But it's interesting. It's still, I, 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 one day we'll sit down with David, and it's interesting because my sin is always before me, and against you only you have I sinned, and he, he admits that God is right in his verdict, and he says, "Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother." conceive me yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb you caught you taught me wisdom in that secret place it's interesting I'm, i came i heard a story about a man who was spending some hard time in jail in prison and he was interviewed by some sort of magazine how did you, you know how did you get here and he tells a story about when he was a kid his father had a uh, gold watch he loved and one day this boy, he was a boy at the time, sneaks into the, the bedroom and is playing with this watch that his father loved so much. And he dropped it and he broke it. So what does he do? He puts it back. The father discovers that somebody broke his watch. He calls a family who did this and he remains silent. Doesn't say a thing. 
problem, quote unquote, goes away. Many, many years later, he's driving a car down a road, and out of nowhere, I guess, a kid came, and he ends up hitting a kid. And what does he do? He leaves the scene. He leaves the scene thinking it'll go away by itself, right? Well, obviously, he got caught, ended up, you know, leaving the scene of an accident is a pretty serious violation. And he said, you know, it wasn't that moment when I hit the kid that I made the decision. When I made the decision was way back about this pattern of, of just trying to ignore things. They'll go away, not dealing with them. And, and as of what I'm seeing here is a man who's sort of in that same predicament. Are you going to deal with this? right now are you going to deal with it or are you going to just pretend you didn't break the watch and what's going to happen down the road and and i think it's it it can make us feel uncomfortable but we don't we really we say it but it's true we don't hide from god we don't well, was god smarter well obviously he is but i mean um i would just ask an ethical question doesn't the father bear some responsibility in that story, because he didn't hold his son accountable, didn't teach him the lesson of well, accountability, he, ethical accountability. So he did, the father did not know who I the, see. did it with other kids. So, but God know. does, and God yeah. reprimands. Yeah. God allows us to suffer the consequences mm-hmm. of our actions. Right, and so I, it, yeah, we could analyze. You know, what when that kid was, I don't know, maybe eight years old. I have no idea. And maybe there were two siblings, three, and maybe the father says, look, nobody's having ice cream until we figure out who. Yeah, we'll punish everybody yeah, equally. Yeah, and and maybe, yeah, but you could say it's kind of a, you know, Jacob was by far not a perfect parent, and, uh, you know, it could be something about that. But um, one but other thing I do. Confrontation is hard on any level. Oh, yeah. You know, and I think that's... Um, part of this dynamic going on here but we're going to say roger oh i was just i was gonna well it's not totally pertinent but i was just going to point out too before we move on to any other text that um jesus also makes reference uh to this uh psalm Mm. uh, when he calls matthew as a disciple Mm -hmm. and he goes and he eats at matthew's house and some of the scribes follow him there and they question him like Mm -hmm. why are you eating in the house of you know of a, of a Roman collaborator and Jesus tells them go and learn what this means I desire mercy, mercy and not sacrifice yep. and that's uh, Psalm 51 verses uh, 16 and 17 for thou desirest not mm, sacrifice mm-hmm. else I would give it thou delightest not in burnt offerings the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart O God thou wilt not despise amen yep yep so you can make mistakes now, that's what that's what's going on here. Yep. You can make mistakes. You can be you can have human but just, flaws. But own own we, those we, mistakes. We gotta own it. Yep. And that yep. but that does link, I guess, to confrontation because I I get to observe the next generations of young Americans every day. Yep. And we are we've created a society where we feel like we ought not be confronted about anything. Mm-hmm. And the younger you are, the more you've bought into this idea. Yep. Um, and I say that just from observation. Yep. Um, I also say that I also work in a prison. Yep. <laughs> and the same thing applies. Yep. Um, and, and it goes back to why should we care 
there is a God. You know, why should we care? And and it's a deep, deep question. Or why? Well, I would say, why? Why are people insistent on killing God? Because hmm. that's essentially what we try yeah, to do, we right? Did. We try to kill him by erasing him from, yeah, in, in terms of relevance. Yeah. Well, because God, God. So I, I would I would take a Platonic view. God, the definition of God is He is ultimately that which is good, mm-hmm. right? He yep. is He is the yardstick. Yep. And as long as we acknowledge his existence, that yardstick's there. Yeah. And we're going to see how far we come up short. And we don't like that feeling. Yeah, that's true. So he goes on, and, and there's so much imagery here. When, when you think about for, for the Hebrew being liberated from Egypt, because in verse 7, cleansing with hyssop, and of course that's reference to the hyssop that was used to put the blood on the doorpost. Wash me, I will be whiter than snow. And we're very, we're broadcasting from South Lancaster, Massachusetts. I'm looking out the window here, and there's snow, there's snow on the ground. And, and, but here's the thing about snow. We can look at it right now because it's an overcast. When you see snow and the sun is brighting, is shining full. Brutal. It's brutal. You need sunglasses. And accidents have happened because of it, and we're just talking about our son. Imagine if you have the glory of God. And so, you know, David is saying, you know, I, I'm assuming that this is like the, 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 the whitest, the purest he can think of is, oh, yeah. And it'd be interesting to know when he first saw snow. I mean, I've met many, I should say many, but several people who had never seen snow until they came to New England. And it's like this new experience for them. David must have seen snow at some point in his life. And, and, but it's interesting in verse 9, well, no, before, that's verse 8. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. And I don't know about you, but when you've done something you, you're not supposed to do, it has almost a physiological impact on you. It does for me. It's like, and then when I've said, told my, the truth, it is almost as if, Roger, almost as if a physical weight has been lifted off. Mm -hmm. And it's like that crushing spirit is gone. And so David understands this. And he says, I want to go back to joy and gladness. and, And the bones have been crushed. He says, hide your face from my sins. Again, blot out all my iniquity. Again, it is really, really bothering him that he has hurt his God in this way. And, well, can I just add to that? Yep. Please do. Verse 12. Mm -hmm. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Yep. Interesting words. Mm -hmm. Right? David's imprisoned by his guilt. Yeah. Right? And so, like, our culture today likes to talk about how religion is restrictive, mm-hmm. right? It's a prison, <laughs> you know, because you have this domineering God who's telling you how to live your life. Mm-hmm. But my bi- the Bible that I'm using, it's not mine. I took it off your shelf over there because <laughs> um, I came here right from school and I didn't have one with me. But uh, it, refer- it sends us to the footnotes, sends us to Romans 8.15 and 2 Corinthians 3.17. I just want to read those real quick, 8.15 Romans. For ye have not received the spirit or bondage again mm. to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, where we, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And then this, I love this, and this is one of my favorite. 
Second uh, Corinthians three seventeen. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Mm. Yeah. God doesn't yep. trap us. No. no. And that's what David. David's like. I've I've trapped myself in my own sin, and only the mercy of God can free me from that. Yep. God's not waiting there. He's not Zeus waiting to like zap you with a lightning bolt. Yep. That's the popular image we have. That is it, big time. Oh, cartoons. I remember. Yeah. God on a throne. He has this lightning, you know, uh, bolt, and he's looking down, and he's yeah, with getting, like a bow and arrow. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, well, this one was in his right hand. He oh, could okay. zap it. He could throw it down at somebody. And but what an image! And you and and you think, well, what the the, the animator and the author of those cartoons must have had some serious issues, you know, or bad. Well, let me back up. They had bad theology. And what was the image of God that they had? in their minds to come up with this sort of um, imagery. And and you see this sometimes in The Simpsons and other programs where, and people even say, oh, God's going to get me for this. We we say it in our church. Yeah, God's going to get me for this, for, oh, you know, for speeding or for, you know, eating an extra piece of cake or whatever it might be. God's going to get me. And, and where is that coming from? Where is that coming from? And... That's a whole other discussion. Why is this all important? Because I think David is this is a this is an epiphany for him, and we can ride on his coattails. He's realizing his own sinfulness, his carnality. Mm-hmm. So he's in verse ten is very profound. He says, "Create in me a pure heart, O God." And and that word create is the word bara, which comes from, that's used in Genesis, where God creates out of nothing. And that verb in Hebrew is only applied to God. So there's another verb for mm. create, which means to fashion physical material. Uh-huh, yep. And we usually think of it in terms of ex nihilo, yep. but it's not so much ex, it, it is in Genesis 1, but it's not so much ex nihilo, but it's a type of creation that only God can accomplish. Bingo. I like that. And it brings it full circle back to the question you asked right at the beginning, which was, is it possible for us to really understand God? Mm. Only in a limited sense. But I think that's what David's saying here, right? He's saying, only by comprehending how evil my sin really is, can I understand and appreciate God's excellent mercy. Yeah. And so what people that have that Zeus lightning bolt um, – Mm-hmm. image of god which is all of us to some extent yeah right sure. we've all imbibed oh, yeah. that because oh, yeah. of cultural yeah. references and things that is uh i think that's a lack of understanding of real sin right oh yeah you know it's like a kid who puts his hand in the cookie jar and gets spanked by his mom that's mm-hmm. kind of how we view it yep. but god's going to spank us yep. um, sometimes the spankings are worse than others that's not it instead of a god who punishes you have a God who wants to relent on punishment. Punishment is a necessary outcome of wrongdoing. Like a, almost a consequence. It is a consequence. Yep. And it's yep. a natural, I, w- I would say there's a natural law explanation yep. to consequences. What God does is says, I can override the laws of nature because I created them. Mm-hmm. But you have to ask me. You have to come to me and you have to want me to do it. I'm not going to override them if you don't. I'm not going to intervene in your life if you don't want me to. That's where right. the free will comes right. from. Right, and again, we don't understand that. And it's it's interesting because when you're when you're growing up, 
you come to a point where hopefully you come to a point where you realize when you do something your mom or dad tells you not to do you're doing it you're actually hurting them more than you're hurting yourself it's almost like this is painting my mom or my dad and i say that because um i i came across i've shared this before and it, it still has stuck in my mind somebody made the definition of sin sin is vandalism of shalom hmm. and I, I i like that imagery because eden had shalom it had peace mm-hmm. and adam and eve came along and did violence to it did, did they cut down trees did they beat up some angels no they went out of harmony mm-hmm. with the simple ground rules and that was that was a, in a way a vandalism yeah saint augustine would say that sin and evil don't have an existence absolutely in and of them, themselves right we don't buy mm, into like a yep. eastern dualist you know yin and right. yang or anything like that right saint augustine would say that sin is basically it's spatial the further you travel away from you, you use the word shalom or goodness whatever you, whatever term you want to use the further you travel away from that the more sinful Mm. whatever it is becomes mm-hmm. right so I, I like how what you said adam and eve did violence to shalom you know they acted yep. against it and then they departed from it yeah you know and god's expo we look at god expelling them from the garden as sort of like god punishing them but really what they were doing is saying like we don't want to be close to the, we can't be close to the good you know right. we just we have to travel further away because we can no longer be this close to that which is good they were doing externally what had already happened internally right they were they'd walked away from god in their minds now they're walking away physically and well it's literary imagery yes we don't abs- like to see that because we want it to be you know this is factual yep. history and i'm yep. not denying that it was factual history yep. let me just make that clear but there is a literary of intent there, there yeah to yeah. physically represent that spiritual separation i mean and i think many of our leaders our listeners know that because we talk about the parable jesus tells us which is you know could teach a different doctrine about the rich man lazarus you know here is a powerful literary story designed to teach a truth it's not about the state of the dead it's about how are you living today mm-hmm. and and uh so coming back to psalm though mm-hmm. um it's interesting because it says there so create so david he says you know what you can clean me up you can uh blot me with white out you can do anything but you know what i still have this sinful tendency i still got it and so this is where it's so powerful in verse 10 he has come to a point he says okay god i need a new heart create a new one in me i i, I if, if if i keep up my old heart i'm gonna do this again and so it's as if he's saying i need a new heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. In other words, he's saying, you know what? This is going I need to be a different man every day. Mm-hmm. And I, if it's up to me, it ain't gonna work. So he's saying, give me that steadfast spirit, renew it, put it in me, that I will do the right thing. And, and he says in verse 11, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. And, Again, we touched on that a moment ago. Essentially, David has walked away from God in this moment. And 
But then he comes back to verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You know, it, it, some people have said it is easier to be a martyr than to be a Christian your entire life. A physical martyr, because when you're a martyr, physical, when you're actually bur- being burned at the stake, it is done. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you've made your stand for Christ. They tie the stake, undoubtedly painful, but your salvation is sure. But to live 20, 30, 40, 50 years longer, where you're dealing with annoying people, <laughs> where you're dealing with temptation, where you're dealing with sins of omission, sins of commission, you know, it's it's a lot more challenging, Roger. Well, uh, one of the last episodes we did, I talked about muddling through. Yes, that's right. That's and right. I think that's what, and I said, you know, I think that, that describes a lot of the Christian life. And I think Psalm 51 backs me up on that because, you know, David starts out talking about God's mercy or in your version, love has mm-hmm. it endures forever, yeah. right? No matter where you go, it's this great love, this great mercy. Every day that we wake up and the sun is shining is an act of mercy. And that's it not is. just because we're all sinners and God could burn up the earth and be completely justified in doing it. Yep. But because it's a new opportunity to wake up and have these words of Psalm 51 on our lips. Yep. And the sentiments contained in those words in our hearts. And so is and I would say like, you know, you say it's easier to be a martyr than to live a Christian life, a full Christian life, 40, 50, 60 years. But what do you mean by living a Christian life? Does that mean we wake up tomorrow? Like we're gonna we're gonna pray at the end of this podcast, right? We're mm-hmm. gonna ask her whatever, yep. and we're gonna walk out of here and we're gonna be holy. <laughs> and for the next, I'm 44 years old, so I can reasonably ex- expect you're a young a, man. I am. Well, I'm middle middle aged. I'm middle. No, I'm officially no, 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 middle aged. No, no, that starts when you hit 50. So 55. Well, it depends on which historian <laughs> you ask. But uh, I'm 44, so I can reasonably expect to live another 30, 40 years. Right. So does that mean I'm going to walk out of here and for the next 30 to 40 years, I'm never going to do anything bad ever again? No, that's not what it is. It's I think it's the Christian life is when you stop. When you stop looking for God's mercy, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever your sin is. okay. we'll use an easy one that everybody can agree on. Right. Alcohol. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying. Well, I would say that alcoholism. Alcoholism, not alcohol itself. Yeah, but no, but alcoholism I would call a disease. Yeah, it's a a, a but but it's it's a corruption. Yep. But I'm making an analogy, right? So, how why does AA work, right? right? Because AA works because yeah, you might you know this might be this this water might be vodka, yeah, right? And I'm an alcoholic and I'm sitting here fooling everybody, right? But then I go home and I go, you know what? I was sober for six months. Yeah. And I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. And so tomorrow, I show up at AA, mm-hmm. and I stand in front of my AA group, and I say, my name's Roger, and I'm an alcoholic, and I drank a pint of vodka yesterday after six months of sobriety, So, but today is day one of my sobriety, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's that willingness to start over every single time, and that's, that's why AA works, that's why Christianity works, because you wake up every day and go, you know what, God, I did whatever yesterday. I messed up yesterday, I know I did, I wasn't perfect. Thank you for giving me another chance. Just stick with me. I yep. think that's what David's really saying. Like, God, yep. just stick with me, man. Yep. And we have to keep asking that of God every day. Very, very well put. Very well put. 
And it's it's interesting in verse 13, he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. So that sinners will turn back to you. In other words, I will be an advocate. I will tell other people about the mercy, your mercy. And and he goes on here um, in verse eight, fifteen. There's so much here. We need. We just have to budget our time. Open my lips, Lord. It's interesting, and my mouth will declare your praise. It's interesting to think about this. That he's been shut down. He's he's shut down. His the guilt is so troubling, and he wants to be restored. So he has something to sing about. And then in verse sixteen, this is really a, a key part. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Hmm. And that comes back to what is God looking for? What are we looking for? And as I see it, God is looking for Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17. And you know, the pomp, the circumstance has all you know, deep theological meaning. But at the end of the day, he's looking for this person who says, okay, I'm gonna be, I want to be real with you, and let's be real with each other. Mm-hmm. And I say is like, you know, if you're, if you're having a friendship and, and everything's always superficial, that's as deep it's going to go. But in this case, David says, okay, I'm going to put down to use the Star Trek metaphor, I'm going to drop my shields. Mm-hmm. I'm going to uh, bear my soul. I'm going to be who I really am. No acting. Mm-hmm. And that's the context in which God really, really works. Yeah. So I, I would say, the Star Trek analogy, you have, you have shields up yep. and torpedoes armed. There you go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a war. That's a war setting. Yeah. Right. So I mean, you can say that in ships. You can say that in navy. You know, whatever. But you know, two ships. We'll, we'll stick with Star Trek because it's cooler. <laughs> right. So you have two starships approaching one another. Right. You have the Klingon vessel and you have a Federation vessel, oh, and they're yeah. coming oh, right yeah. close. Right. Shields up, torpedoes armed. Right. That shows aggression. Yep. And what happens when aggression? You know, aggression always escalates. So it, it, it's that necessary taking the shields down, disarming the torpedoes, saying, "Look." We're in a state of diplomacy, mm-hmm. right? We want to talk, yep. and that's. I think that's what God wants too. You know, Absolutely. He wants us to be able to say because God does that. God makes Himself vulnerable in Big Christ. Time. He does that, and so He expects us to be vulnerable as well. And I, there is one other like exegetical point I want to bring up. Yep. Again, like you already said, Psalm fifty-one was written in response to David's um, sin with Bathsheba. Yep. David's. I just want to kind of travel down that because you we we hinted on this like what does god want us to do how do we live our lives things like that there are there the sin with bathsheba involves a sin of omission as well as commission Mm -hmm. so this the sin of commission is the adultery with bathsheba yep the sin of omission is david's army was fighting a war Mm -hmm. and the king their commander-in-chief wasn't on the battlefield with his men correct so because he refused because he had this this image this self-important image of i'm too important i'm going to stay here where it's safe he was in a position where he could be up to no good 
Yeah. <laughs> if he'd been out there fighting the battle, yep. he wouldn't have been basically bored. Yep. Roaming around on the roof of his house. Yep. And looking over and seeing Bathsheba on the roof of her house. Yeah. Right. So if you're out, if you just, if you, this is where that faith and works thing comes yep. in. Yep. You're saved by faith. But if you're out there trying to, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a give and take, right? So like there's like this circular sort of like feedback, like positive feedback loop. If you're out there acting on faith, mm-hmm. then your faith grows stronger, which enables you to better act on your faith, which makes your faith grow stronger, which makes you better to able to act on your faith. David wasn't David wasn't engaging in that positive feedback yeah. loop. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting because <laughs> thank I God for was, God's mercy. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, the old proverb that says uh, idleness is the devil's workshop. Right. And and I'm thinking here I think the thought leader, the influencer was Elon Musk, and he said something to the effect that AI can bring us to the point where it will do all of our work for us. And and I'm like, doesn't that? Am I the only one? But am I scared about that? Artificial intelligence. I'll tell you this right now as a scholar. <laughs> Artificial intelligence is the most dangerous technological development in the history of mankind. Well, I didn't want to I go into. I fear artificial intelligence more than I fear atomic war. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and but, we are pretty close to it. So, 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 yeah. I don't want to go too far off yeah. the ra- ra- ranch here, but yeah. we are at a point. But it does, it does apply. It, we can apply. We're trying to apply the yeah. biblical knowledge to like the real world. We are at a, a at a point in our history, uh, in terms of global politics, where if there is a nuclear war, there's a good chance that the decisions that are being made to take us into that nuclear war are going to be made by artificial intelligence. Could be. And, and but what I'm thinking about too is. Just the fact that, oh, what am I doing today? Well, I got AI robot mowing my lawn, AI trimming the brush, shrubs, and then tomorrow, oh, there's a, there's a robot who's going to, uh, I, don't need to I don't need to work at the grocery store because there's a robot doing the checkout. My point is, what is people going to do with all this free time? We weren't supposed to have free time. Exactly. Uh, you know that it's where, where where our free time should be the seventh day of the week we habitually find ways to shirk responsibility yeah now that doesn't mean we shouldn't use technology to make things easier more efficient right um obviously we're sitting here recording yeah, i know this, I, I, you know big time like this this technology didn't exist you know 15 years ago you know it didn't it's amazing isn't it? um you know anybody can go on amazon and do what we're doing for a couple hundred bucks you know yep um, but we, we were, we were, we're supposed to be working, right? Yep. And we like to use that Her, term, uh, yep. you know, based Sabbath ethics and things like that. Yep. But, but there's, there's, there's a deeper truth to it that, mm-hmm. that, um, there's a deeper theological truth to that than what I think we really realize. Yeah. You know, yep. because we're so focused on the practicalities of it that we don't really think about the concepts. Yep. And again david's an example of psalm 51 if he would have been out if he would have been out committing acts of mercy doing if he, he oh, would have been doing yeah. the lord's work right so yeah. the, again there's this these literary symbols here yeah. david so the nation of israel is god's nathan nation of judah god's people on earth right yeah. they're out fighting yeah. god's battles right yeah. that's the theological message here david is the leader of these people 
yep. and he's repining. Yep. Yep. Right? Yep. Instead of leading his people in battle, he's repining. So you sit back and, okay, let's make it. I know you like making practical applications. Here's a practical application. If you're a layman in the church, and I consider, I'm obviously, I'm a layman. I'm not ordained clergy. But if you're a layman in the church and you're just sitting back going, someone else is going to take care of that. Ah, yep. But you are that someone. But you are that someone. Yep, yep, yep. Right? Like everybody has a job to do. Yep. So if you're a spectator, somebody should. <laughs> somebody Fill should. The blank. If yep. you're a spect, if you feel like you're a spectator, yep. Then you should be asking God, what is what is the work that I'm supposed to be doing? Yep. Listen, the time is going on. I want to take a glimpse, a, a glance at Psalm 130 because okay. something there that strikes me. Um, Psalm 130. Uh, I'm going to read one and two and three. Just one and two is kind of part of the picture here but uh, out of the depths I cry to you Lord Lord hear my voice let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy and here's something interesting if you Lord kept a record of sins Lord who could stand but with you there is forgiveness so we can so we can with reverence serve you <clears throat> that picture we, we so often see God and this is going back to the world of animation, mm-hmm. you know, oh, you did a violation there, Roger, you did a violation there, Anar, and they brighten this down, and this imagery says, oh, I'm forgiving my sins, so God is erasing that now from the, from the, uh, from the books. And, and wh- how do we reconcile that with, you know, and I think this is where we come back to our words, our understandings. You know, we, we have to think in terms of books, of concrete, like God is out there making a list of our 45 sins for the day or one sin of the day and, and, and you know, literally on paper. You know, I remember this as a kid. And mm-hmm. It's like, wait a second here. This seems a little too contrived from a human perspective. You know, uh, what, how, how do you get to paper? I, mean, I we, can distinctly we, 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 remember sitting in my kindergarten Sabbath school class and listening to my teacher tell me that my guardian angel mm-hmm. was walking around with a notebook oh, no. <laughs> and a magical heavenly quill. She didn't use those words, yeah. but, you know, yeah. uh, recording all of the things that I did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, and so the thing with it, I'm going to go back to my paper metaphor. It's like you have to cut a tree down to get paper. You know, and it's like, well, is there death in heaven? And they're going to cut down trees to make, you know, and what kind of weight of paper? Well, and, I mean, Daniel and, uses in the judgment scene in Daniel, um, they, it says the books were opened. Exactly. But what are those books? Well, that's the question, right? Yeah. And here's you go to Revelation, mm-hmm. right? Because we have this image that it's books of our sin. Right. And then God's scratching it out, right? Yep. So he's got the magical heavenly pen. Yep. And it's not God, right? Because he delegates, right? And so, yep. you know, whoever, whatever, you know, Gabriel's there and he's just like, you know, whatever your guardian angel's yep. name is, yep. you know. George. 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 <laughs> What's the tally on Anar today? I was like, well, Anar coveted twice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um,. You know, he didn't know it, but he worshipped a false image once. That's that's a biggie, you yeah. know. Um, and he should have stopped to help that person with the changing the tire. Yeah, well, that old lady that was trying to cross the street with the groceries, and he was like, I just don't have time because i got to meet Roger for the podcast. 
um, you know, so and then then so they're Gabriel's like, okay, good, yeah, that's good. You know, it, like they make the, yeah. it, it turns us into the enemies, right? Right. And then he, you know, yours is George, so I guess mine will be uh, Fred. Yep. And so they're like, Fred, what about Roger? And it's just like, well, uh, Roger told two white lies, yep. and you know, whatever. Yep. That's not what the books are. No. The books are the book of life. There we go. And guess what? Your names are already there. That's it. You have to ask, either implicitly or explicitly, to have your name removed from the book. God's yeah. not up there. That's what the Psalm's saying, yeah. right? God's like, God, there's forgiveness. If God was keeping record, yeah. man, we're all doomed. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah, we are up the proverbial creek. Yep. But God's, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, your name, you, all you wait, have to do is ask, wait, wait, and I will wait. write your name in the book of life. And to have it taken out, you have to overtly, or you know, you have to do something to have it taken away. Yep. But if you wake up every morning, you say, God, just help me do the best I can today. Forgive me of my sins. And you have that recognition. That goes back to Psalm 51. If you just have that recognition, then you're on the right path. Some of us are further along the path than others. Some of us are on different paths going to the same destination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And we tend to forget that. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Um, so it's it's again going back to, and we have run out of time, my friends. We didn't get to the other Psalms, but there's so much here. So I would encourage us to deliberately, you know, read through the Psalms, and and uh, you know, there's 150 of them. If you do one every two days, you get through the all of them. Um, the Sabbath school quarter doesn't cover all of them. Of course, you got the, the well, longest psalm that, that you have to get. You know, I just make for. a suggestion here. There's 150 psalms. There's 52 weeks in the year. I think you just you just planned out your sermons for the next three years. There we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and that and even gives you two weeks for vacation. No, wait, no. No, it doesn't. Two, four. Well, yeah. yeah, two, four. There's six weeks of vacation. But listen, what am I going to do with Psalm 119, Roger? I'm looking here. Um, 176 verses. Tell us to clear our calendars for that Sabbath. <laughs> okay, I'm going to quote you. We on will that have life. we'll have potluck that day. <laughs> <laughs> Breakfast, potluck, and supper. And we'll have an intermission. There you go. <laughs> you know, act sermon, sermon, act one. <laughs> um, I, it wouldn't be possible. 176 verses. If well, you, spend, you don't get six weeks of vacation no, then. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Didn't know I did. <laughs> but it's it's 176. That would be if you did one. If you focus on one verse per minute, that's 100 based 109. That's three hours right there. But that's just one per minute. It's impossible. Well, hey, hey all those laymen, all those, my fellow laymen, right, who are sitting there going like. I don't have any. Sc- There's a ministry right there. Hey, let's put a little, a small group together. It's 10, 15 people. We're going to read all 150 psalms. This, you know what I mean? Yep. How yep. long would it take you? It would be a, that would be an hour long meeting. Yeah, that wouldn't be. It wouldn't be bad. And no. it's something that simple. Yep. You know what I mean? That simple. Yep. You could be doing. Yep. I seem to recall some churches having a Bible reading marathon where maybe it's New Year's Eve or some other time, maybe around Easter. Where they read through the Gospels or something, and that's just, just they just have a tag team, mm-hmm. you know, and and it just goes around the clock. Somebody's there one in the morning, two in the morning. Um, I do. Th- I remember. I think if you read, I think it's just ten or fifteen minutes a day. If you just read, you will you will get the average person will get through the Bible in a year. 
just 10 or 15 oh, yeah. minutes per day. Yep. So it's just a matter Actually, that would be a fun project to do, like at Easter time. I'm just going to throw that out there. Yep. Uh, that would be a fun project if we said, you know, we're going to, so Easter's on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. If we said like from Friday night until Sunday at sunrise, we're going to have a constant live stream and we'll always have something. We just get volunteers mm. and someone will come in and read. That's a good idea. That would be fun. Yep. So I say special, that, but then yeah, we, if you're the guy that gets like the 415 yeah, time slot. And, and, and I'm like, I've got these four special effects buttons here at the console. I'm like, I don't want to push the wrong one because there's one that's like, you know, wah, wah, wah. And then there's the, oh, the drum. top, uh, top right, I think. Top. That's the one. That's, but what's the, that's the drive. There we go. There we go. So, all right, listen, we have run out of time. Thank you for allowing us to be part of your life. And let's continue in this journey going through psalms and let's pray together father in heaven thank you for the honesty of the psalmist and that it gives us license to be honest as well thank you for their highs for their lows thank you for their um just candor their honesty and lord as we have our relationship with you may we have the same candor and honesty and may that really impact just our day-to-day walks. We live in a time where we don't really have the luxury of being actors, religious actors. We need to be real. And I just pray that that's going to be our experience. And uh, be with us as we sign off here and as we continue with the rest of this day. Thank you for the privilege of studying the Psalms and we pray that the psalm will become a part of us and we say this we pray this in the name of jesus christ our lord and our savior amen amen thank you again for allowing us to be part of your life and may god richly bless you